You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. Um, in the fictional movie, Saving Private Ryan, I, I assume you've seen it. Uh, it's, a, it's a fake movie about a real war, <laughs> World War II. I assume you've heard of that. Uh, so the movie is about this private, Private Ryan, as the title uh, suggests, who is being saved by a group of other men. And the mission is, is just to simply go find Private Ryan wherever he might be in France and save him, as the title suggests. Um, and spoilers, they do, the group, the group saves Private Ryan, but six out of eight men who are sent to save this one guy die in the process. And Tom Hanks plays the captain of the group quite famously. And at the end, Tom Hanks has been shot, and, but they've been liberated, they've been saved. And so his last dying words to Private Ryan are, earn this, earn this, earn the sacrifice that these men have gone through in order to save you. It's a, it's a pretty brilliant scene. And the movie ends with a much older Private Ryan standing at the gravestone of, of Tom Hanks, of the captain. And uh, Private Ryan, through tears, he turns to his wife and says, tell me I've lived a good life. Tell me I'm a good man. And he's wondering in that moment, has my life been worthy of the sacrifice that the men have made for me? In Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, the apostle writes, Live your, let, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Right, the apostle Paul is in jail. He is suffering. And a few verses prior, we saw last week, he's weighing the benefits of dying and ending his suffering and being with Jesus versus staying on earth for the sake of the faith of the people, like the people in Philippi, the early church growing. Um, and so there's this tension here that the apostle is introducing for us. Um, Someone has died for you, he's saying, right? The, the gospel of Jesus is that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. And so he's saying you've been delivered from sin through a death so that you can walk in a life that's worthy of that sacrifice. He's saying morally live a life of righteousness. Show the world what Christ died for. Earn this in a way. Uh, earn this in the way that you live. And there's a tension and a weight, and it's one that all Christians feel, myself included, of, of needing to live a life worthy of the gospel that we find ourselves in. So let's, let's uh, spend some time in this tension. I want to read uh, the first section of Philippians for us this morning. It's verse 27. Let's, let's read it again. It says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to your opponents of their destruction, but to you of your salvation, and that from God." For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So we first begin with this, this kind of fatherly uh, posture from Paul where he's saying, um, hey, let me, let me not only tell you to live a life worthy of the gospel, worthy of the sacrifice that Christ made, let me kind of show you what that worthy life would look like. 
He says, um, you, you can do this by being united, by being a people that are united, that, that believe the same thing. You have one mind. You believe the same gospel, that you can be um, living out a worthy life by having courage in the face of opposition. He says opposition is coming. People don't like this spreading Christian movement, um, and you're going to suffer for this, for this gospel. But you can have courage. That's a sign of your life being worthy of the gospel. And he says, um, by, by living in this way, united and courageous, you will be reminded of your salvation, that you have been saved through and by the work of Jesus Christ. And further, he calls suffering, courage in suffering, not only something you'll have to endure, he calls it a gift. You're granted suffering um, as something that makes us more like Jesus, makes our lives more worthy of the gospel. And then we, we move on to chapter 2, but chapter 2 begins very much with a continuation of, of the thoughts of the end of chapter 1, which is why we've linked this in the same sermon this morning. Chapter 2 begins this way. So then, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind. So again, very fatherly, very affectionate. Paul says that his joy is incomplete until he hears that they are walking in unity, in love, in compassion, in encouragement, in affection, in sympathy. And this is a pretty common argument from the apostle that we, the church, we begin by being united in belief, in mind and thought, but that's not where our unity ends. It actually flows into the way we feel, our emotions, and what we do, our actions, right? He, he makes this all throughout the, his letters, this think, then feel, and do kind of argument. We, we believe, and then we feel, and then we do. So he's saying if we're united in what we believe, if we're united in belief about who Jesus is and what he has done, we will then be united in emotion, in love and affection and sympathy, and we'll be united in how we act. And the primary marker of our actions that Paul gives us in chapter 2 is humility. He says this uh, in verse 3, do nothing from selfish uh, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each look, each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so the actions that Paul is talking about are to be marked by humility and selflessness. Um, and I'll, I'll be the first among you to say that I can't say that I do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Um, I often struggle to count others more significant than myself, and I often only look to my own interests. And I thought about this for a little while, and I think the reason is because I really like myself. Um, my son, Jude, has been singing this, this song that I think is a well-known kid song. Um, it, it starts with... Uh, Skittle Marinky Dinky Dink. Do you know this song? Uh, I'll sing it for you. This is how Jude sings it. Skittle Marinky Dinky Dink. Skittle Marinky Do. I love me. That's how Jude knows how to sing that song. Um, it's funny because it's the wrong lyric, and it's also funny because it's the honest lyric. Uh, <laughs> um, 
And don't hear me wrong, I'm not, I'm not saying self-love is bad. Actually, I think that's a biblical trait. We are to love ourselves. But, but we, should, we should look at ourselves soberly. We should assess our sin. We should assess our motives. We should be aware of our propensity to act very selfishly. And at the same time, we can and should look at ourselves with honor and dignity, both as those who bear God's image, but also those who are co-heirs in the kingdom of Christ. So, so we shouldn't be self-deprecating. Um, but what I think this is saying, what I think Paul is saying here is that the more we understand ourselves in light of the gospel, in light of who Jesus is and what he has done, um, we, we will grow in our awareness of the honor and dignity that we hold within ourselves, and we will be less captivated and obsessed with ourselves, and instead, we'll begin to consider others much more significant than our own interests. You may notice um, the Bible never explicitly commands the church or people within the church to be friends with one another. Um, It's because it's because the things that the Bible is driving at for the church are much deeper than friendships. And if we aim at those things, then we are going to get friendship inevitably. The things that Paul is listing here lead to relationships where we value each other much more than we value ourselves. We value our neighbors much more than we value ourselves. We value love and sympathy and uh, and care, and mission together. And it's in the context of shooting for those things where deep friendships really flourish. I think the healthy Christian in Paul's, in kind of Paul's writing so far right here, and really what the life worthy of the gospel is a Christian that's looking at themselves and saying, I'm sinful, I, I doubt my motives, and yet I am worthy of honor and dignity in the kingdom of heaven because of the work of Jesus on my behalf and the work of the Holy Spirit within me. Therefore, I am willing to forego my preference or what is owed to me or what I'd like to do for the sake of the flourishing of my brothers and sisters for the sake of their faith, for the sake of loving them, and for the sake of our neighbors. So to recap where we are so far, the apostle has said um, in verse 27, live your life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Live a life worth the death that he died on your behalf. And he defines that worthy life by these tenets. Unity in mind, believing the same things. Unity in feeling, having the same affection and sympathy. Courage in the face of suffering. And then by unity in action, serving each other in humility because we see one another as much more significant than ourselves. And I've said it already about myself to an extent, but, but let me bring in kind of our local church and the global church and just say we just aren't that good at this. Right? The, the global church has struggled to have unity around the same things that they believe. And so we constantly have to kind of go back and and say to one another, no, these are the things that are important to believe when you're a follower of Jesus. But but far too often, those little little theological issues become the things that we bicker about. And so because we get unity in belief wrong, we lose affection for one another. We lose sympathy for one another. We lose courage. We lose humility. We don't count other Christians or our non-believing friends as more significant than ourselves. 
All that to say, living a life worthy of the gospel is very difficult. It's very difficult. And yet, we still haven't gotten to the most famous part of the chapter this morning. Um, one of the most famous and beautifully poetic writings in the New Testament, uh, verses 6 through 11, are called the Christ hymn. Um, I'm going to go into a little bit of history, but, but bear with me because I, I think it's important. Th- there's some debate about the origin of this passage, verses 6 through 11. We aren't entirely sure if Paul wrote these words or not. Um, they don't sound like they fit in with the writing of Paul all over the New Testament. To be clear, we certainly know that Paul wrote these words in the letter to Philippi, right? I'm not saying that somebody added them later. What I am saying is scholars aren't exactly sure if Paul created something new in verse 6 through 11 or if he's quoting a hymn because the way the, the verses are written, it's a poem. And so a lot of people think that the words of verses 6 through 11 were sung by the early church in homes throughout Greece and Rome and Turkey and Jerusalem, Um, that early Christians were getting together and singing in Greek and in their language the words that are in 6 through 11. So it'd be the same as me, like, this morning in in my sermon saying, in Christ alone who took on flesh, you know, quoting the song that we sang this morning. It's not that I... I didn't write that, but I'm using it in my sermon. And they sang this song because this song is truth that anchors believers in the gospel. It reminds them of two things. There's two sections to the poem. There's the humility of God, or the the humiliation of God, really, humility, and the exaltation of God. And Paul puts these lyrics here in his argument because he wants to root the people of Philippi. He wants to bring their attention to how we gain access to the type of humility that Jesus displays, that he's calling them to, how we gain access to the life of worthiness. So think of our tension this morning that that living a life worthy of the gospel is very, very difficult. And let's hear this this uh, Christ hymn together, verse 5 sets it up. It says, have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, and here's the song, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and the glory, to the glory of the God the Father. The first three verses, 6, 7, and 8, consider Christ's humiliation. The final three verses, 9, 10, and 11, consider Christ's exaltation each There's three for humiliation, three for exaltation, and each of those three verses has three stanzas. In Christ's humiliation, we are reminded that God in Christ came down to earth. So first, he came down, he became human. And second, as God on earth, he was not a king or a ruler or a powerful businessman. Instead, he was a servant and a sojourner. And third... Even then, as a servant and a sojourner, he goes lower still. He was crucified on a Roman cross. The murderer Barabbas is freed from execution, and Jesus hangs instead. 
Why did Jesus do this? Well, he, this is the gospel. He, he suffered in this way to take on the sins of his people, the pride, the selfishness, the lack of love, the lack of sympathy, our inability to think of others over ourselves. Jesus did this with us in mind. He did this to free us from our sin and free us from our unworthy lives and deliver us and place us into worthy lives, right? Then his exaltation, why is Jesus exalted? He is obedient. He has been raised. He has lived the worthy life that we should have lived. He is raised first from the grave, and then he ascends to a heavenly throne where he sits even now. And at that throne, he's given a new name, we are told in the hymn, the name above all names. Why? Well, whoever wrote this quotes Isaiah 45, so that at his name, all knees would bow and every tongue confess. Isaiah 45, 23 says this, by myself, This is Yahweh speaking, God, triune God. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. So the writers and singers of this hymn were singing to Jesus as God and remembering that he went low and then went high. Paul puts this hymn here as a reminder of and a model for us. The good news of Jesus coming down in humility, his his life, his death, his resurrection and ascension, it must be good news for us. It must be a gospel worth singing. It's news that we actually need to believe. And when that is true for us, the Holy Spirit indwells us, the Holy Spirit unites us with Christ, and he brings us on a journey a journey not to earn our salvation or, or so that we might become eventually worthy of the lives that we have been won through Christ, but instead a journey uh, of the Christian, it's, it's worked out of our salvation and it mirrors Christ's journey. Once we're in Christ, we follow him. Where do we follow him? We follow him down and then up. Just like the Christ hymn shows us, we follow the humiliation and exaltation of Christ. For us, we call this process sanctification and glorification. Sanctification is the process of the people of God being made into Christ's image. It's the the process where our unworthy lives are starting to be marked by worthiness. Right? We follow Jesus, we, we become united in thought, in love, in sympathy, in affection, in humility, in selflessness. And all of those things have kind of a posture of we make ourselves low. We, we follow Christ down. And so we, we make ourselves low as we become more Christ-like, but, but simultaneously time is passing and our bodies are getting closer to the ground. They're literally getting lower. We're, we're, we're approaching dust and eventually we'll die. And yet for those in Christ, though our bodies might return to the ground as dust, they will be raised in glory, in glorification, united with the Spirit, where our souls are reunited with our physical bodies and we are found worthy, not because we worked hard enough or did enough good or made our lives earn what Jesus had bought us, but instead because we've been found in Christ. Thinking back to Saving Private Ryan, um, for six men to die so that you could live and then telling you earn this, man, by the end of that movie, Private Ryan is crushed by this task. 
he's weeping and literally kind of falling down, wondering, did I earn it? Did I live a life worthy of the sacrifice? It's a horrible burden, I think. But for, for those of us in Christ, we don't have a horrible burden. We don't have to live wondering if I will be good enough to earn the life that Christ has won th- through his death. We get to live in freedom in Christ because of the good news. And with that freedom comes the gift of the call to live into the freedom and walk in righteousness. We have been made worthy by Christ. And those who have been made worthy, our, our lives will begin to, over time, through the power of the Holy Spirit, they will, they will look remarkably similar to what Paul is describing in the church in Philippi, united in what they believe, united in affection, in sympathy, in devotion, in care, in love, in joy, united in courage in the face of suffering, knowing that our God has gone before us in suffering. And we do all of this, we live our lives with a growing sense of humility. We serve each other and our neighbors, pouring ourselves out, offering our very bodies for their sake. It's because we follow Christ. We, we do this because Christ has offered himself, his body, and his blood. He's poured out himself for our sake. In Christ, we, brothers and sisters, have earned the freedom to be like him. And I want to learn to take that freedom joyfully. I want to invite you to join me in striving on by the power of the Holy Spirit to live a life worthy of the gospel. And I think that starts by believing that in Christ you have been found worthy. Once we know we have been found worthy in Christ and what he has done, then the task of living the worthy life is not a burden. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. We are simply freed to live with our flesh, becoming more harmonious with the spirit that dwells within us now, the Holy Spirit of God. The tension between the two will grow weaker and weaker and weaker until we give up these fleshly bodies and they are raised in glory again. Because of that, we come to the table and we remember what Christ has done, been made low and been raised high. Let's pray. Lord, would you make us a people that live lives worthy of the gospel, first by anchoring us in the truth that you have done it. Jesus, that you have done it. You died in our place. You were obedient to death, even on a cross, a death of humiliation, put in a tomb, But then the process of going down stopped and the process of going up started when you rose from death, you appeared to many and then you ascended into the heavenly throne room where you sit now loving us, where you sit now praying for us, our priest, our king. Every tongue will bow, or every tongue will confess, every knee will bow at the sound of your glorious name. And Lord, we are those who will joyfully and excitedly bow and confess.
And therefore, I pray that we would take the posture of bowing servants. Even now, we would consider the people in this room more significant than us or what we feel like we're owed or what we're due. I pray that we would care for the brothers and sisters in this room to the extent that we sacrifice something that we want. And gosh, if that's happening in this room, then I'm excited about what will happen outside of this room as we look at our neighbors um, and our friends who don't know you as, as not projects or, um, or not lost causes, but simply as those who bear your image and are worthy of our sacrifice that we would look at our unbelieving neighbors and friends and think, I will sacrifice all that I can so that you will joyfully bow and confess in eternity and you will joyfully sit at a table with me. We have the power to do that by your Holy Spirit, Lord. So would we live the life worthy out of the worthiness that you've purchased us? Would we do this? Would we take it seriously? Would we enter into the tension of not trying to earn our salvation, but working it out every day of our lives, Lord, would you blanket us with grace as a people for your name to be known in this neighborhood. We pray all of this in your name. Amen.